That's our old familiar theme song, Love to Change the World, Just Didn't Know What to Do. Mr. Alvin Lee didn't. I don't know that we still really know what to do to change the whole ball of wax, but we can certainly change ourselves. And, of course, that's what we talk about here with our small group of loyal listeners and certainly appreciate each and every one of you out there that have glommed onto this for whatever your reasons. Roger Sales Radio Ranch, People's Patriot Network, 3rd of January. 2019 and so uh you know we were predicting and i've been waiting for this financial stuff and boy i figured we'd have a pretty hectic week wait till next week uh but uh there's a lot of things going on right now uh in the financial markets today and not only is it precipitated by all of the setup that's been going on for so many decades now of pump 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 easy money for 10 years etc etc but it's really starting to crest, and I guess the probably the biggest news and the one that's leading the way without a doubt, I'm sure most of you know this already, but Apple stock dropped 9% yesterday, 9% in one day. For that stock, is pretty dramatic. Okay? And if you'll remember here, just in the back part of last year, I believe, is when Apple became the first corporation ever valued at a trillion dollars. The big ballyhoo about that. Well, it, it's not a trillion dollar corporation anymore. And to give you the, uh, if you really want to get the comparison, it dropped almost to 900 billion in one day from over a trillion. So things don't look real good. Well, they don't look very good if you're in the market, for sure. They look pretty good for all of us, I think. Most everybody that should be listening to this has probably got some metal somewhere to some extent. And just hopefully you've gotten a stash of some of the major cyber coins back there. If you, uh, if uh, Hopefully you've gotten into BitClub Network uh, because that... I feel like we got two real things to hang our hats on here, and one is BitClub Network because it's just solid as a rock of Gibraltar, and no matter what the price of Bitcoin is, it's a little under about 39, a little under 39 when I looked right before the program today, but don't worry, that's going to change. It may not change by tomorrow, but it's certainly going to change by this time next year, and uh, you know, the old, the old tips, plant your corn in the spring. That's a good tip. Uh, and uh, buy low, sell high. Well, it's it's time to get into that stuff and to start thinking about down the road because the entire dollar-based debt, debt monetary system is on its way down right now. So I'm trying to take in as much of this stuff as I can here at the start of the year and get acclimated to 2019 and get back in a groove after being off for a couple of weeks and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we can talk about a wide range of topics today. I was kind of hoping I could get a hold of Paul. He uh, he fell asleep yesterday is the reason we didn't hear from him because he was so tired from doing five and a half hours, most of it radio, I guess, uh, immediately before our show yesterday. 
Uh, and I want to anxious to find out about some of the things that he's got the connections to. Um, I had a very nice conversation last night for pretty lengthy, actually, and went on until past midnight uh, with the guy I've had on as a guest before. He's um, He's got a real good website that's certainly oriented in our direction, sedm.org, I believe, um, Christian Defense Ministries, uh, SCDM, SEDM, I need to get that exactly right. Many of you are familiar with his website. Uh, gosh, we're not, we don't have Chris yet this morning. Um, but I was relaying to him, and him and I get on and talk this intricate legal stuff because when you get to a level, I'm sure most of you have found this out one way or another generally the hard way when you get to a level of understanding here and you've got a grasp on these concepts and these facts that we talk about here and you go try and talk about find somebody to talk to about it and they're like you know as rare as hen's teeth it's uh, most of your fellow i don't know if they're your fellows but most of our countrymen are you know about dumb as a damn rock and especially in these matters, and if you try and talk to them about it, generally they don't want to hear it. It scares the pee waddling out of them. They're scared to death of the intimidating federal government and all the black uniform cops and all the SWAT teams and everything else. And, of course, that's part of their methodology to steal and, steal and continue to hold your power because it's your power they're taking. And people just have a very hard time getting over that hump. Well, what uh, Josh and I spent a lot of time talking about last night is this common law birth certificate and, more essentially, uh, what uh, Brian Howard has discovered that uh, is so important on the process on which a birth certificate is generated. Because, as you guys know, it totally proves the thesis, A. And uh, it gives us a real real point of attack so josh is a very document oriented guy and and we had a nice discussion last night in the middle of what we talked about on the fact that you know here what i've learned over all these years doing this is the the simpler you can make it the quicker people can grasp it a and b the quicker they can uptake the information. And then you find out if somebody's really interested, you know. I mean, I would have had no idea way back. Well, I got an idea, actually, fairly quickly. But to see what Brian Howard has been able to accomplish with his attitude and his attack mode kind of get down to the root of things. And Brian just as somebody that heard me on Joyce Riley, read the book, got motivated like me when I, you know, I got a call, said there's a tax meeting in town. Who is it? It's some guy named Benson. And I go over thinking it's Bill Benson, the guy that wrote the law that never was. And it turns out to be John Benson, who nobody had ever heard of. Most people still haven't heard of him if it's not for our group and maybe a few others whose lives John touched when he was here and hopefully his information will continue to outlive him. And who would have known that out of 1,200 students in six months, the people that really got exposed to the meat of this information, that there'd be one little lone guy that 
it would touch so deeply that he refused to let go until we found some answers. And we found the answers. But, and that's the same attitude that I take with all of you. I have no idea what any of you that have gotten into this information are going to do with it. And dare I say that you don't either. But as I look back on all that, and I realize the things I've come to either had to, I've just had to accept, okay, that there's just not many people here that this is going to resonate with or touch, percentage-wise. And it's, it's, a, it's sad to me. I wouldn't have thought that it was like this years ago, and I would have thought we'd have have had much more success in spreading the word and getting people that are truly interested, but most people aren't interested. Not only are they not interested, they don't want to know in many instances, as I'm sure some of you have found out. But you see, I, don't, I never know which one of you, and as I said, you don't know either, what you're going to be able to do with this. Dare I say Brian Howard would never have known five years ago that he was going to find the master key to this whole thing. The verification of the whole thing. And as I was explaining it to Josh last night, and I sent him the cast box December 5th show, as I've sent out to a lot of people, and I hope you guys have too, uh, because that information is, with the exception of, Personally, when I stumbled into the passport application about to leave the country and realized its significance very quickly, this is the second biggest thing I think that really I've been either, either directly or indirectly involved with finding, and that's the generation and how the birth certificate is generated. And so I was explaining all that to Josh last night. And he is, uh, he is uh, a document. I want to document it. I got to see documentation. I got to see this. I got to see it in black and white. And I was having the discussion with him of why I approached this in a totally different way. Yes, the documentation is important, but most people are not going to sit down and read through all of those statutes and regulations and court cases and confusing stuff to try and find the answer when we've got the answer that you can give to them conceptually in, in less than 10 minutes, okay? And then you'll find out if they're interested, they'll follow up and they'll go back and you can point them at the minutiae at that point. It's a different approach, and I feel like it's, far more effective and as i told josh last night after our conversation i said uh, you know and i think we've used this on the show before if you if you give a child let's say six seven eight year old child and you give them two puzzles and one of them is one of those thousand or fifteen hundred puzzles with a picture on it or whatever and all the little pieces that are so difficult to find a place or you give him one of those puzzles that you give a four or five or six year old with about 10 pieces which one you think he's going to put together faster i mean it, it's a rhetorical question because the answer is so damn obvious 
he's going to be able to slap that puzzle with 10 pieces together real quick. He may never even finish the one with 1,000 or 1,500. And that's why I take the approach of conceptually teaching this and teaching it from the top down. Speaking of uh, deaths, I'm surprised Melissa didn't get me this. She's usually pretty good on getting me obituaries. Um, I, I'm uh, sad to announce, and we talked about this guy here recently with Brent. I'm, I'm sorry to announce, I believe it was this past weekend, the passing of one of our patriarchs in our movement, Red Beckman. Uh, Red had had some medical problems. I should dig up the dig up the little email I got on it, and uh, and he did pass away. He's never he hadn't been in good health. I met him, hell twenty twenty five years ago, and he wasn't in good health back then. So Red passed away. I think that they're waiting on uh, on funeral arrangements. Uh, they were not uh, yet complete. Here here's this email. Let me just read it. Uh, hello, friends. December 30th, 2018. Our friend and great mentor, Martin Red Beckman, was taken home to be with our Father in Heaven. Red was certainly ready, having suffered from rheumatoid arthritis and heart problems for a number of years. He was skinny as a rail when I saw him. With his devotion to our Savior and King, there is no doubt he's in real good hands. I do not have all the details for funeral arrangements at this time, but we'll follow up with that information in the next day or two. Please pray for Red's wife, Irlene, and their family. Uh, the passing of a great man and the passing of a guy that did a lot in our movement. Um, for those of you who may not familiar, we got some new people. People are coming to the message, and uh, some of your fellows relatively still pretty green here. Um, Red Beckman started fighting against the IRS, as many of us do. They actually bulldozed his home up in Montana. And Red went on to uh, team up with that aforementioned guy uh bill benson and bill benson had been employed by the illinois tax department division whatever in the state of illinois and he'd gotten a kind of i guess a sniff as to the rottenness of the whole system when he was working professionally for them and when he retired uh, he got hooked up somehow with Red Beckman. And don't know who the mentor was. There was a sponsor here, and it's, to my knowledge, that information's never been public, but they had a sponsor who was like-minded who paid for them, literally the two of them, to go to every state in the Union that was a state of the Union when the 16th Amendment was ostensibly ratified. And they rented a private plane, I believe. And they flew from one state to another state to another state and another state. And they would go down in the archives and go back and get the actual state archives 
on the passage of the 16th Amendment, probably some other stuff too, because the 17th Amendment was just as bogus. And, uh, and then they got them certified and notarized. And they came back and put all that research together. And what we now know is not one state ratified the 16th Amendment. Not one. Not properly. It's a very detailed process to ratify an amendment to the Constitution. That's why they don't get too many in there is because the process is so involved and what it is, is, uh, if I remember correctly here, this is all from memory. Of course, it has to originate in either the Senate or the House. Then it has to be passed by both houses. And then it has to go to the president for signing. And then it has to go to every one of the state legislatures that are currently a state in the union. And every one of them have to pass that exact same amendment unchanged verbatim. And I mean totally unchanged. Not one period can be different. Not one comma, not one semicolon, not one word. It has to be exactly a carbon copy of what was passed in D.C. and signed by the president. And then it has to be read publicly in each state legislature three times. And only when that is done, and I believe it's two-thirds of the states, pass that amendment exactly as it was passed in the District of Criminals, is that amendment considered to be ratified and added to the Constitution. Well, what we know now, and I don't remember how many states were in the Union back in 1913 but of the ones that were and they went back not one of them adhered to that process but yet there was a very crooked secretary of state at that point his name was philander knox and that's an easy one to remember philander P-H-I-L-A-N-D-E-R, last name K-N-O-X, Philander Knox. His progeny is still around. Got up in the Senate, and his statement was, it appears, it appears the 16th Amendment has been ratified. Bam, it went into the Constitution. Well, that was all Red Beckman's research. And I'm sure Bill Benson, being somewhat new into the movement at that point, even though obviously he was knowledgeable, I'm sure that uh, Mr. Beckman was the orchestra leader here. They produced, Bill Benson produced a book called The Law That Never Was, Volumes 1 and 2, with the actual certification from the states in the book, actual photostatic copies. And I remember hearing him. I think Bill Benson's still alive. I remember hearing Bill Benson on some shows, and I particularly remember hearing him tell a story 
I believe I saw him. I think we had him at, at uh, uh, one of our confabs in Atlanta there in the old days. And I don't remember exactly where I heard him say this, but it came out of his mouth that uh, and and they they had a lot a very interesting time with that information from the law that never was because people wanted to start using it and taking it to court to see the fraudulent aspect of the 16th amendment which is of course what the irs hangs its hat on it's been proven that it's not true but the courts agreed with them and uh, surprise surprise and uh it has been the peg that the irs has hung its hat on ever since and I remember uh, that when they got it up to one of the court cases, I, uh, the, the judges don't want to touch it because they're not going to be the judge that pulls the bottom card out of the house of cards. And so as it got into the court system, the judges ruled, uh, this is up to Congress. It's a political question. And then you go to Congress, and they go, no, it's up to the courts. It's a legal question. And so it's hot potato, hot potato, hot potato, hot potato. And the reason it's a hot potato is because of this fellow we're talking about that just passed away last weekend, Red Beckman and his cohort, co-fellow researcher, Bill Benson. Then Red went on to also found, seeing that they couldn't get any traction with the 16th Amendment, even though they had the goods on them. They went back and Red founded uh, what we know now as FIJA, the Fully Informed Jury Association. He was the progenitor of that organization also. And, of course, that's a way to throw a hitch in their giddy-up, too, because you can be on a jury and go in there, and the idea, of course, originally was if you see one of your fellow citizens being prosecuted on a bogus crime you vote not guilty because you may be prosecuted next and that's the common law approach and of course they've changed that where now the judges the judges tell you what the law is all you do is decide on the facts so once again they've rigged that system too and the fully informed jury association kind of threw a monkey wrench in that and boy, they don't like those Fiji books anywhere around a courthouse. And I've seen several examples of that and have some friends that have had very vivid exa uh, experiences with that in itself. So the passage of uh, Martin Red Beckman this past weekend, I meant to mention it yesterday, and we had a pretty spirited discussion yesterday and just never could get into it. I kind of forgot about it, and then it came up last night, and I wanted to be sure and mention that today and pay my respects from a man that I consider to be a great man. And as I said or at the start of that, one of the patriarchs of our movement today added some very important information and gave us some real, real solid foundations for a lot of people to utilize. So we mourn the passing of Red Beckman, but I uh, also celebrate his life and what he accomplished and his attitude and his love of freedom. And, you know, the old saying came, came in back in the, I don't remember which war it was, maybe it was Vietnam, and 
the song all gave some and some gave all. Red Beckman gave all. And he's a great inspiration to those of us who continue the struggle. He's a great inspiration and a sterling example of somebody that just draws the foot in the, the line in the sand and said, I ain't stepping over it anymore. This is my line. So we lost a good one here in the late stages of last year, and we're going to lose a, we're going to lose a bunch more. We're going to lose a lot of people in general. But so we were talking about that last night with Josh, and I was explaining to him the uh, the procedure, which we're now so privileged to understand, thanks to Brian Howard, of how the birth certificate is generated and the exact process. And what it does is it just confirms, as all of you know, uh, the thesis and the conclusions that we've been teaching and preaching for so many years now. And Josh, being a stickler for documentation, well, send me some documentation. What kind of documentation I have? I said, man, I know Brian's working on a PowerPoint presentation and getting it all written up and stuff. But you think you're going to find some documentation on this? The, the nexus of their deepest, darkest secret, the actual start of the entire process where you're born into voluntary servitude and considered to be property. If you want documentation on it, all you have to do is get the process and understand it. It's fairly simple. You want the documentation, go back and overimpose the feudal law on it. Okay. Cause there's the documentation the a thousand years of legal precedent on how this has been handled and you see it handled now in the hospital exactly the same way with every baby born in the country well there's chris hey chris well good morning roger i can't stay with you too long i'm traveling to court this morning but i did send you a rather intriguing case this morning that appears that somebody else is taking issue with the uh Southern or the Sodomite Pedophile Liars Center down there, Mark Potok and uh, somebody else named Beckert and uh, some others, and they've got a suit uh, alleging RICO and unqualification for their 501c3 status as they're a hyperpartisan. In fact, I would suggest they are domestic and foreign terrorists here on American soil uh, I, using illegal welfare. I would suggest they're unregistered foreign agents. Yes, I agree. Okay. I saw the email right here before I went on the show, uh, and I just hadn't had a chance to look at it, and I don't want to go through and read all that crap. I know how disgusting these people are. I'm glad to see somebody holding their feet to the fire, though. They lost a big lawsuit. Was it last year or late the year before? They lost a pretty big lawsuit from somebody for uh, slander, I believe. Yes, slander, libel, and uh, probably uh, multiple other things. The same thing here. They're trying to allege this guy uh, because he had a client with the National 
association, I think that's what it's called, uh, maybe the Nationalist Association, but they claim he was a white supremacist, but nevertheless, he, uh, I think he had several three, uh, very good black clients and so on and so forth, so it was rather preposterous, their unsubstantiated false claim of trying to incriminate him and ally him with an agency that was uh, allegedly against their interest and therefore trying to color them with a broad brush of criminality, uh, alienation, uh, incrimination, false uh, prosecution, um, conspiracy to violate rights, all kinds of stuff. Well, I see here, I'm looking at this uh, filing yesterday on the complaint, and uh, the people named in the complaint are Heidi, B-E-I-R-I-C-H, by Rich, it's not exactly yeah, your Burich, B-E-I, however you pronounce that. In, I don't know what the Yiddish equivalent of it is. <laughs> but Heidi uh, Burich and Mark Potok, who Mark Potok's a little creep, okay? Uh, you know, I call him the modern-day Ichabod Crane. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever seen a picture of this guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's absolutely a Zionazi or an Aishkenazi, or one of those that claim they well, are, but well, I don't like to pick on people for their physical appearance, but this guy is one of the uh, ugliest, wickedest guys you've ever seen. And that's why I call him the modern-day Ichabod Crane, because he looks to me just like Ichabod Crane from the old Halloween uh, movies when we were kids and stuff, you know, and those stories and those caricatures. Uh, and what Mark Potok did not used to be the spokesman for SPLC, he is now because Morris Dees, the founder, got so demonized when his divorce papers got out. Okay, <laughs> and his his divorce papers. And I, when I call it the sodomy pedophile larceny center, I don't say that lightly because all that stuff was absolutely proved in his divorce papers. They've been scrubbed off the web. Now you can't find them, but there was a guy I've told this story before. Uh, and of course the other person on the complaints, the Southern poverty law center, I noticed that they served them at their homes and they've got their home addresses for Potok and Heidi here. But, uh, did you ever come across a guy from Coleman, Alabama, named Jim Floyd? Have you, does that ring a bell with you? Pardon me? Not with me at all. Well, no, sir. Well, I, I knew him because, uh, and I, I don't, I think I met him one time, but I had a lot of interaction with him because he was the one that found the divorce papers. Okay and online and he what he would do is back in those days you know how how huge these people's ego is okay yes just like jesus said they're whitewashed sepulchers okay and they got to get up there and get all the attention you see it every day same damn thing same damn bunch what but uh morris d's used to represent splc on all these shows and they'd have him on to interview him and all this stuff well what james floyd and james floyd hated him I mean, he absolutely had a perfect hate for this guy. And so what he would do is find out when Morris Dees was going to be on some sort of a program, and he'd call in and confront him on the air with all this information. <laughs> and as it well, got I out, recall, I was going to say, I recall with some specificity some of the uh, facts alleged in the complaint against Mr. Dees, and I think if I recollect correctly, I'm pretty sure I do, 
he was forcing his new bride to watch him have sex with a man in the bedroom. Well, but what I remember, I didn't, I don't remember that, but I do remember two instances. They caught him in a homosexual liaison. That was this is in the divorce decree now. Okay, they he got caught in a homosexual liaison up in D.C. romping around, and then the, his wife had a daughter. And when she was 17, he bought her a vibrator as a birthday present or a present and delivered it to her and asked her to demonstrate it for him. That is some kind of sick. <laughs> okay. And that was Mr. D. Now, that was in the, that was in the divorce papers. That was in the complaint of the divorce. Okay. So I'm not pulling stuff out of any any orifice of my body and putting it out here well james floyd had a had a real craw in his throat against this morris d's guy more morris d's and d's isn't really usually a jewish name but i guess his mother was probably a jew and the way well, do you know the or you know where he, he 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 was he was an attorney you know where he got the money to start splc Mm, I don't recall that one. He stole a woman's cookie recipe and started manufacturing the cookies, and that's where he got his money. And drew the form to the synagogue of Satan. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. So as that built up and he was building that despicable organization in the most unlikely of towns, Montgomery, Alabama, um, he uh, uh, he would get on all of these shows and stuff. Well, boy, Jim Floyd was his biggest antagonist, period. And I remember, and, and like I said, I had some, this guy, Jim Floyd, he was in a little town north of Birmingham called Coleman, Alabama. And he was really funny. He was one of these patriots that had just a fantastic sense of humor, and he had no fear, okay? And... Uh, uh, he would confront D's all over the place, and that's why they finally yanked. As that information got out and got public, that's when he brought Potok in or up from whatever wherever he was working and made him the spokesman. So that was the transition, and that was, I'm sure, the reason for the transition. And you've never seen Morris D's. I haven't seen him or heard his name mentioned in hardly, I'll bet, over 15 years easy, maybe 20 Okay. Well, I think Mark Potok is uh, taking a sub silencio below silence role to run the organization and take the heat off of him. And they've got some new suit uh, filling the shoes as the uh, catch all the flack and appear to be upright and righteous of uh, the FPLC to try to cover up some of the damage done by D's and Potok. Well. I, I guarantee you Dees is still running it from behind the scenes, but he's just not taking anywhere of a visible role in it because of all that history. Um, but uh, this guy, James Floyd, up there in Coleman, he was a real character. I don't know if he's still alive or not. And I, I, I talked to him on the phone, and we exchanged a bunch of emails. I don't remember if I ever met him, and I, I just don't. But I talked to him so much and, and saw so much of his stuff, I felt like I really knew him. And I remember one of the things that this is the kind of guy he was, Chris. You know, Coleman, Alabama is not exactly a sprawling metropolis, okay? It's, it's a small southern town, very conservative, all that stuff. And he, um, our after Waco... I remember he he put a he put a sign in his front yard. <laughs> Did you hang up? I guess you hung up. 
No, are you still there? Because your little window went away. We must have lost Chris. Maybe he'll call back. There he is. Um, I lost you for a second, Chris. I remember after Waco, he put a sign up in his front yard and said, please don't shoot my dogs. <laughs> Maybe I should put a please don't shoot me sign up. Well, you might want to think about following his lead here. And he got in some kind of a a legal situation there in Coleman. And, you know, you've heard uh, Brent talk about southern towns and the usually built around the town square and the town square is where the courthouse is. And, of course, the courtrooms are in there and all the records and all that stuff. And something happened there. I don't remember what precipitated it. But I remember the story because I just laughed. I'm, I, I remember laughing. When I think about it, I, I laugh again. Um, and he got in some kind of an altercation with one of the judges there. And it was right after the movie Braveheart. Okay? And he went out and painted his face half blue. <laughs> and the judge's office was up on the second floor. And he got, you know, one of those rubber chickens? And he put it on a stick, and he was marching around the courthouse, and he'd stop in front of the judge's window and wave that rubber chicken and yell, Freedom! Freedom! Like that guy did in Braveheart. That's kind of colorfully provocative. (laughs) He was a real character. Jim Floyd was his name, and Buddy, he despised Morris Dees in the Southern Poverty Law Center like... I, I mean, just an absolute passionate hate, okay? <laughs> but I, I remember him telling that story, and I could just see somebody with their face painted half blue going around a courthouse with a rubber chicken on a stick yelling, freedom. <laughs> you know, that's a rather soft way to obtain revenge. It sounds to me like Mr. Dees may have taken some unconscionable liberties with his daughter or son. Well, there's no telling what that scumbag's done. All we know is what's factually in that divorce decree, and that's enough to indict him tremendously. That's enough to change the organization to the sodomy pedophile larceny center. <laughs> um, what what is it? What is uh, Josh's exact website? Is it SCDM or SEDM? Uh, Sovereign Education Defense Ministry.com. Uh, S-E-D-M. And I think it's dot .org. It, it, I think it's org, but it may be com. S-E-D-M dot org or com. If I could access my other Skype account, I could tell you real quick, but I'm over on the network account, so I can't get to it. Um, he's got, for those of you who... Uh, are interested i mean it's a wonderful resource he's got a pretty good active uh audience and he gave me some numbers last night that were pretty impressive on how many people come by his site but i was explaining the whole birth certificate process to him i sent him the show and then i sent him the birthing certificate video from our friend in australia who's done that excellent work there on the video we've talked about and um he must have been pretty excited about it because when i woke up this morning 
morning I had a message saying, can you please send me the tape? Uh, so I know he immediately, as soon as I was told him about it, before he'd even listened to it, had it in one of their forums on the website last night, both the program and the uh, video from Australia. And he was really excited. He said, man, this is the kind of stuff I keep looking for. I said, well, we've got it. He goes, well, I need documentation. I need documentation. I said, you're not going to get documentation. You think they've got anything about this in print anywhere? I mean, well, come on. Point well taken. Many times they work by the doctrine of infra. Things that are inferred by things that are said on the paper, but referring to things that are not within the four corners of the document. I mean, you're not going to find, well, there's not going to be any document that says, listen, the parents don't sign the verification fact sheet. It goes over to the government computer. The information's transferred to the Bureau of Vital Statistics. Your birth certificate spit out and put in a safe that has armed guards around it 24 hours a day. Uh, you're not going to find that in any documentation. And we would have never, that's why I know, you know, that's why nobody's ever known this stuff because nobody had the, the, the initiative, the gall and the balls to go in and do what Brian has done, quite frankly. I got to ring off, Roger. I'm into court this morning for somebody else. So I'll talk at you later. Okay, Chris. Well, good luck. Good to be a witness. Uh, and, uh, if any of you all, uh, would like to call in, you got something on your mind, you got a question, a comment or an observation, or, uh, you would just want to get into a nice little, some social intercourse here. Of course, the number is 404. I, hell, I almost gave you my other number, 404-448-1420. Most of you that call in have got that in your phones. Or you can go to Skype right there on the search bar and put PPN space hotline and call us direct on Skype. Get a little better reception that way. Here's somebody that called in a whole bunch yesterday. How you doing, 602? Good. Is this Patrick? Uh, this is, uh, you know me from I'm in the right now. <laughs> uh, well, I, I can't. You, you, the transmission's so bad, I can't even understand what you just said except Arizona. Uh, can, can we see if uh, we can try again and maybe you can get a little better uh, 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 fidelity going across? Because it sounds like you're using a magic jack. Yes, it is on Magic Jack. What What's the issue with Magic Jack? I don't know, but it's always got real funky communication. I, I People down here in South America, I know, have been using it for years, and you can't hardly get through a conversation on it. It really degradates the com uh, the conversation just in quality-wise. There's something with the way they're doing it. So who is this again? Is, is this Ed? Yeah, Ed. Okay, Ed. Well, good to hear from you, man. It's been a while. I, uh, we moved back to Arizona for the winter, and uh, I've been really busy out here, so I haven't been able to, uh, to log on to the video, and the timing is different, too, obviously. Yeah. Is there any way you can call back on a better phone line? Uh, I'll, I'll check into Skype. How does Skype work? Well, Skype works. If you, if you load Skype on your phone, you see Skype is digital. And what you're doing is going through phone lines and analog and Magic Jack's electronics or whatever, and the, con the quality of the conversation is just terrible, quite frankly. Hmm. Okay. 
I'll try something else. Yeah, because, I mean, I want to talk to you. I want to hear from all you guys. But if you call in and we can't understand you, it's counterproductive. I understand. I understand. I didn't, uh, I didn't realize it would be that bad. Well, it's, it's a little bit better now. See, it fades in and out, and it's intermittent. It's not consistent. That's the problem. Let's see if we can get through it here, Ed, because we hadn't heard from you in quite some time. How are you progressing on your understanding of all this stuff? I'm getting more confident that we're living in a matrix and uh, <laughs> and this this whole thing is just one one big hoax. Um, it's a big hoax. It, it you know what it, it what it really parallels is the Wizard of Oz. It's exactly no, like no, the Wizard. Pardon me. What's interesting? Just after I logged onto your call today on on the computer. My cell phone rings, and it's the IRS calling, saying uh, we're filing a lawsuit against you uh, for fraud. Man, that's the pot calling the kettle black, isn't it? <laughs> and they, they say against my Ed. I hate to tell you, I couldn't understand a thing you just said. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I couldn't, I heard call back, and that's the only thing I understood out of what you just said. And I want to talk to you, and I want to hear from you, and so does the audience. So if you can find some other way to call us besides using that magic jack thing, man, I, I, I want to talk to you. Okay. I've no been problem. missing you Thanks for Roger. yeah, I've been missing you for a while, and I and I and, and uh, uh, hoping you'd call in. Didn't know what had happened to you, so now we know you've moved to Arizona. So see if you can get a good phone line to call in uh, to us with. Could you? I will. I'll try something else. Thanks. Okay, man, and I'm glad you called. And I hate for the quality of that to be so bad, but uh, my buddy Jack up here uh, in Ecuador. Uh, used Magic Jack. When we first started moving down here 10 years ago, it was one of the real cheap, easy ways to communicate back to the States. And when him and I would talk, it would be the same thing as this. And so it's uh, that's how I can identify it so easily because there's no other communication device that I know of that has these qualities of the ba of the way it's structured in a conversation. It's real choppy, and most of it's unintelligible, and I, that's just the way it is. I don't know if anybody else tells you that because uh, you seem to use it a lot, but that's my experience personally with it for the last 10 years. No, it must, it must be because of uh, going out of out of the States or something, because uh, I, I haven't had anyone else indicating any issues with it. Yeah, it's choppy, and it. Um, if I could, I, I'll tell you what you may want to do is go back and listen yourself tonight to this, and you, you'll be able to hear it on the recording. I'll put it on CastBox, of course, as we do every show these days, and you can go okay. back and listen to it. Um, but I'm very interested in you and your progress with this because you're one of the people that came off the conference call we did here a couple of months ago. And um, but I'd like to know more about this IRS suit, too. And it's very unusual for them to call you. 
So you okay, might. Well, let me let me try to figure out another way to uh, get in touch with you. Okay. Okay, and and I will be here. I'm just kind of chewing the fat today. There's so much going on, and uh, uh, you know, a lot of subjects we can certainly talk about. But I'm particularly interested in your education and and progress. And now I'm even more particularly interested in this IRS suit and what you did to get to that point. Because they usually don't come after you. They don't come after you for fraud. They come after you for failure to file and stuff. So that's yeah. why I'm real interested in in what you've done that's triggered this, and I'm sure the audience is also. And I'd be interested in any suggestions you have uh, regarding it also. So I'll uh, try to find some alternative to dial in that's more effective. Okay, well, let's hope so, and because I really want to hear from you. Okay. 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 Great. Well, it's good to know you're still out there, Ed, because we hadn't heard from you in a while. And, and you know, when, when we got people that are, you know, uh, either new or people that are real regular and all of a sudden they stop calling or communicating, you wonder what happened, you know. Right. So, yeah, see if you can find another way to dial in because this would be a good, uh, good topic for today if we can talk about it. Okay. All right. Thank you, Ed. Good to hear from you. Welcome back to Arizona. I heard it, I heard it was a little cold down there in the last couple of days. Yeah, we had uh, freezing temperatures last night. <laughs> well, how about that global warming, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> what, part of, what part of the state uh, are you hanging out in? It's the West Valley of Phoenix. Oh, okay. The Valley of the Scum, as they used to call it. Yeah, it can be scummy. <laughs> Well, you know, Robbie Noel used to live out there, and uh, uh, the guy that helped me get started in all this, Jeff Bennett, uh, still lives out there, I believe, and that's where that came from. Oh, okay. But check back in with us, man, because uh, myself and I'm sure many in the audience want to know more about that. Okay. Take care. Bye -bye. Great. Okay, thanks, Ed. Good to hear from you, by the way. Um, yeah, take care. And, and that's why, you know, and the listeners can hear what I'm talking about because you want to hear what Ed's got to say, and you hear that clipping, and it's just a distortion on the communication when, uh, when somebody's using that. My experience, I hope that you don't have that with everybody, but, uh, man, there's so many easy ways to communicate these days that are free. Load, load Skype on your phone. I mean, Skype is, yeah, they got a backdoor to it. They've been listening. Hell, they can turn on the radio and listen to what we're talking about. So there's no reason to be paranoid about it, but it does transfer the signal digitally instead of going through an analog segment or the regular phone lines or whatever the connection ability is there. And uh, there's an absolute night and day difference in the quality of the communications. And it's free, too. It's free, by the way. Skype to Skype anywhere in the world is always free. Okay, buddy. And it's a pretty easy little uh, program to load on your phone. Uh, you don't have to buy any of the subscription services or something. They've got a, they got a deal where you can get Skype, what they could, used to call Skype in and Skype out, where you can call out or you can receive calls. And one of the nice things about the Skype in is they assign you a number through Skype where people can call you. And you can have those anywhere in the world, by the way. Um, but, uh, uh, what they do is it's $30 a year for each one. And they used to, and I think they still do. If you buy them both, you get it for half price. So you get unlimited calls out to landlines and stuff in the U S and Canada, and you get unlimited calls in with a new number that's 
particularly identified to your Skype account. And the one thing that is, is very interesting about that is because it's a mobile communication service, it's not what they call telephony. They put a bureaucratic word in for telephony, which means that it doesn't have an address that it's physically assigned to, so you can't call 911 where they automatically know what your address is? Yeah, that's telephony, but you can have those options if you want, but you can also just load it and talk Skype to Skype anywhere in the world for free with usually, unless there's Internet problems, pretty, pretty 100% fidelity. Okay. okay. Let me uh, load it on the, the phone, and I'll call you right back. Yeah, when you do, and you load it on the phone, you put in in the search bar, Put in PPN space hotline, and that's the account, and you can call us direct right on that, okay? PPN hotline? PPN space, no hyphen, no underline, just a space, hotline. Okay. Okay? And that's, that acts as a phone number? Yeah, well, it's, my, it's the Skype account, so it'll show up oh, okay. on your Skype thing, and we can talk Skype to Skype, and we'll have perfect fidelity. Okay, man. Well, I hope we can get that done uh, because I'd like to hear, and I'm sure the audience would like to hear about uh, Ed's situation. I don't know. I will tell you right now, if you get into that situation, I don't know what we can do to help you. Uh, once you get entangled in the tsunami of molasses, it's not a good place to be. No, I, I think I know what to do, but uh, we'll find out. I already have, I've already done an in, in, administrative process, and they're in fault, so it's just a matter of taking them to court. Okay. Well, that's no fun either because all the judges are on their side. But call back in where we can really uh, have discourse about it that's uh, intelligible, and we'll explore some of that, okay? Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Good to, good to hear from you, Ed. Happy New Year. Uh, of course, we don't give legal advice here. We do discuss legal and lawful situations, and uh, we give legal and lawful suggestions that you may want to go to and look at and follow. That'll be your decision. Uh, but the very best way for anybody that's new here, Brent Buckman, uh, sent you contact information. Well, all right, I'll accept Brent's contact information. So, Brent. You got contact information accepted. We can exchange messages. You can call if you'd like, and I appreciate you sending me that. Um, what we do, and as I've said on here many times in the approach that we take, which I think is about the only approach that really gets the rubber down to where it meets the road, is the ideal candidate has got all of those problems with the individuals representing Satan out of the way. And uh, that's our buddy Brent. Should I call him? Um, because the person that has the clean slate can, first of all, sever the connection, which entails, of course, sending a declaration, preferably an affidavit, to the Secretary of State of the United States and telling them what you're not and asking them to please put your affidavit firmly and permanently in your administrative file. And once you've done that and you've severed the head of the snake, then you can go back, especially if you've got a, a clean slate with these bandits. 
and that that's the absolute ideal situation you're not in any kind of a you're caught up if you've been a surf and you caught up with your filing you don't have anything in arrears and you certainly don't have any process that they're coming after you on already because they're not going to let go till they get their pound of flesh and i'm an absolute living example of that okay and I could tell that story. If anybody wants to hear it, I'll be happy to. It's got some real uh, uh, poignant lessons in it that lead back to this birth certificate idea, actually. And uh, it's maybe I should tell that story. Uh, but ideally, that you've got a clean slate with the individuals representing Satan. And then you write them as actually one of our listeners did this over the weekend because I was talking to him. And uh, Chuck uh out there in oklahoma was writing a letter there on i think new year uh, on monday when i didn't have a uh, show and we ended up talking that day for a bit and he said i'm working on that letter right now and so if now the interesting he he i don't think chuck had a totally clean slate he said hell i'm gonna do it anyway so that's a good ballsy move i tip my hat to him but uh, ideally You'll get back, and we had the other listener, our buddy Gary, that did get something cleaned up, and now is thinking about filing the affidavit. Once you got things cleaned up and your slate's clean, you go back and you send that same affidavit to the individuals representing Satan, and you go in with your cover letter and say, this has already been submitted to the Secretary of State of the United States. It's in my administrative file, and will you please do the same? Place this affidavit firmly and permanently in my administrative file, and you'll never hear from them again, okay? Because they don't have something they can come after you on that's previous. you got a clean slate, ideally. And now they got that in there, and it's in your administrative file. So, once again, back to the administrative procedure stuff. Remember, the administrative side of this is a court of record. When we say court, like Chris is sitting in right now there for somebody, people, and you say it's a court of record. Well, people don't envision that the administrative state and the process you go through in dealing with those people is exactly the same thing. It's a court of record. And why do I say that? Because they do have administrative courts and administrative judges okay, that deal with these agencies. But the main reason it's a court of record is because anything that you, anything they send you or anything you send them is in that administrative file. And once it's in the administrative file, should they decide to exhaust the administrative remedies and you do end up in a, some sort of a, a legal forum there, then that is admissible into, into evidence and it bypasses the rules of evidence because it's part of the administrative court process, which is a court of record, meaning that you've got to keep a record of all communications. Okay, So that's a, a – I mentioned it before i think daryl uh went out and found this it's on the web somewhere i remember al adas telling me that he wrote him a list he was he was hearing from him and uh uh not in a you know christmas greeting and he sent him back a list of 66 questions and he said i've never heard from him again why why would they stop abruptly coming back and 
contacting you if they're going to be after you. It's because you got all those questions in your administrative file that they can't or won't answer. And if they do take you to court, all you have to do is look, I sent them these 66 questions and they never responded, not even to one of them. Boom. Okay. So uh, there, there are ways that we can twist and turn their system in our favor, and this is one of them. Let me tell you my story. When I was uh, living, I had a house that I'd had for 19 years in uh, Marietta, Georgia. And so that was when I got into all this, and I was teaching back then, and I never had a tax problem. I never made enough money to have a tax problem, quite frankly. And uh, um, add to contacts. Yes, we'll add it. Um, and so at that point when I started getting into the tax movement, all of a sudden they knew who I was uh, because I was doing – a little bit of a high-profile stuff, and I got pretty involved there in Atlanta. And uh, so they came after me and started proceedings. Well, I got to a point where they sent me a summons for books and records. And they were going to go try and back go back to the bank accounts I'd had and try and bogus up something and come after me with it. Well, I, I decided to fight them on that, and that was when I learned so much about regulations and how the whole regulatory scheme works. And they ended up going ahead. I, I, I challenged them on the summons, uh, filed a challenge in federal court, and through all the intricacies of filing this kind of stuff, and you're new, I didn't properly serve them. You got to do a certificate of service thing, another affidavit, right? And I had messed up somewhere in the process. I, I think it was them that I that I didn't serve properly, or whatever the situation was. They came back and tried to get it uh, knocked off of the uh, calendar, but it had already been scheduled. And I went into the Cobb County Law Library, and I went back and did a little research, and I found an old case on this very topic. And they said that the the notice. Uh, a request for dismissal was all, all that the mistake was all form and no substance in other words i just messed up on some aspect of the service it didn't have anything to do with the merits of the case and so i put that in to counter their their motion and the judge ruled in my favor and they came back and said nope this has already been scheduled it's going to be heard now, the reason that they don't like that is, for one thing, because no local area, the U.S. Attorney's Office, never prosecutes a tax case. Whenever there's a tax case anywhere in the United States, they go to the tax division of the Treasury, and they fly out a specialist that specializes in tax law that, of course, they're all Edomites, and they go out, and that's the person that prosecutes you. So they didn't want to have to guy bring a guy out and fly him down to D.C. and go through all this, but now the judge had overruled their motion, and the hearing was scheduled. Well, I went in there. I've never been in court, any kind of situation like that in my life i wrote a very good brief took me a long time it was a very very good brief i had some real good compliments on that back then and um, so we went into court but what they did was trip me up on procedure okay i mean i had an irs agent on the stand for four and a half hours and i never got one document and admitted into evidence okay and boy let me tell you what that little gal didn't like me one bit 
okay a little old black gal and she was pretty cute actually and boy you could see the distaste in her eyes all right and she didn't like me one bit and she was the case officer that was handling my case and so after they ruled against me on it um obviously she went back and sharpened her pencil and for a guy that never made much money i ended up with a thirty-five thousand dollar tax bill so uh before that realizing what was coming i had just enough knowledge to be dangerous you know dangerous to me <laughs> and so this is this pretty interesting story it goes back and validates everything we say and so what I had, I'd been through paralegal school already, I believe at that time. And I knew from my studies that when you're talking about liens, now remember, no, IRS puts a notice of lien on you, not a lien. Okay. But when you're talking about liens and you don't know all the intricacies of this, the rule with liens, the legal standing, long-standing rule with liens is first in line in time. So that means if you've got a mechanics lien or some other a judgment lien or some other type of lien and you go in and put it against the person's property and all of a sudden maybe the guy was a real down deadbeat and there's two or three people that file liens. Maybe you had a, uh, what do they call it, a, a, a workman's lien? I, f I forget. There's a, there's, you know, it's like if somebody, you, you have somebody come over and does the does a plumbing job for you and you can't pay them well they can go back and put this lien on your house and what that means of course legally is when you go to it just sits there okay i mean it, it probably maybe some of them accrue interest i'm not sure but the lien just sits there until you go to sell the property and when you go to sell the property the lien's got to be satisfied before the property sale can take place all right. And the, the rule of thumb with liens is first in line in time. So if you had one that was filed in June and somebody else came in July and then somebody else came in December of that year and all three of those people had a valid lien on your property, if there was just enough proceeds to pay out the first guy, he's the first one in line in time. So he gets paid first. Okay. And that's the way the system works on a legitimate lien. Well, of course, these aren't legitimate liens, okay? They're statute staple contracts. And so uh, what I did, being somewhat naive still at the time, still needing to learn some lessons. <laughs> and so what I did was went down and we bogused up a lien that was on a foreign corporation. And we said these people in Iowa, somewhere in Central America, and uh, went in and put that lien before the IRS could get through all their procedure because it takes time. They move very slowly, as some of you know. And so I had a lien there at the very top underneath the house that was was not real and not structural, and uh, uh, and it was just sit there to, to hopefully be able to pull something out of my rear end, actually, on this, not knowing any better. And so it got to the point where I got the house up for sale and I sold it, and it was a complex situation, and the couple that had purchased my house had just newlyweds they not the first go-round on the merry-go-round but uh, they were very cute and very nice and I liked them both a lot personally and they fell in love with my house as their little love nest okay and so they had had problems with another house they'd found and they found mine they liked it we cut a deal so we go into the closing 
And so we're sitting at this big closing table. I had a guy I knew in there as a witness with me. And we're sitting at this big closing table. Those of you who've closed real estate know what I'm talking about. And they were directly across the table from me. They put one side on each side of the table. And so the uh, uh, the little couple, man, they'd gone through a lot of problems with the first house they'd found. I don't remember all the details. But then they had their house that they just sold the previous hour. They just closed it and got out of that closing and came into my closing to be able to close and go get their love nest. And so we're all sitting there at the table. We're all friendly. You know, everybody was friendly. Those, some of those situations aren't that way, but this one was. And the closing attorney walks in and sits down. And he turns to me and he goes, okay, Mr. Sales, I need a check to the Internal Revenue Service for $35,000 and some odd change. Well, I'd been in real estate for a while, so I knew this little saying, but there's a saying in real estate that when something goes wrong at the closing table, the only thing you hear in the room is the click of everybody's eyeballs as they look at you. And I'm telling you, that's exactly what happened. Okay. So the attorney goes, well, Mr. Sales, I need this check for this much money. And of course, I had pushed it to the end, and my house, this was on a Friday morning, okay? And it was the Friday morning before the Labor Day holiday. And Georgia is what's called a non-foreclosure state, non-judicial foreclosure state. And what that means is they don't have to go to court to foreclose on your house and go through a long court procedure. All they have to do is publish it in the newspaper in the public records section for three weeks in a row or something. And the fourth week, they sell your house on the courthouse steps. Well, I was at that point, and the next Tuesday, they were going to put my house on the courthouse steps. So I didn't have much choice. I'd back myself into a real bad corner, and I had no wiggle room. Okay. I had no money. I was broke. I'd pushed it all the way where I hadn't paid a mortgage payment in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And they had pushed it where it was going to be sold on the courthouse steps the next Tuesday morning. This is Friday of the long Labor Day weekend. So the attorney sits down and he looks over at me, says, okay, Mr. Sales, I need this check. All the eyeballs in the room, they click over on me. And, um, I had no choice, but I'd been in the house for a number of years, almost 20 years at that point, so I had some equity in it. And I said, well, just go do, redo the figures and take the money out of the equity. That's the only choice I had, or else lose everything. And so uh, he says, uh, he said, well, we had this other lien on here, and I looked all over the country, and I never could find this company. And he said, it doesn't make any difference. IRS jumps to the head of the line. IRS jumps to the head of the line. First in line in time doesn't mean anything anymore. IRS takes precedent over all that. They jump to the head of the line and they jump over legal procedure. All established legal procedure when it has to do with liens. And you know, this is a good example of what I tell you guys about this information. And I, I knew all this stuff back then. I'd had it under my belt. This was uh, about 1998. So I'd been messing with it about seven years at that. No, about, no, about uh, four years at that point. Because I got into it in late 92. Middle of 92. And it was at least 10 years almost 
before one day it just hit me like a sledgehammer. At the time, didn't think about it. At the time, didn't understand it. At the time, had no idea that it validated everything John had taught us. Why? Because it's a statute staple. And in the statute staple, the property is you, not the house. So when they put that notice a lien on, they put your address on it and they go file it in the property records of the courthouse in the county you live in. But that lien's not on your house. That's just where your contact is. The lien is on your body. It's the, it, once again, it makes you property, okay? And it's the old English system of statute staple. And what was the statute staple statute contract system? When there was a debtor in England and the mayor of the staple, the staple town where the trading was taking place, put it under seal, made it a statute staple contract, and at that point it reverts back to any, because now the lien's on your body. And anything that comes into your hands, be it rent, sale of a house, somebody owes you money, you hit the lottery, any of those things, when that those funds hit you, they step in and take them. And that's why in this process, if anybody ever has to, unfortunately, God, I hope not for any of you go through this, that's the reason the IRS goes to the head of the line. Because the lien's not on your house. It had nothing to do with the workman's liens or anything else that are on there. The lien's on you. And that means any profits that come into your hand are seizable by the IRS under this old system of the Jewish Shetar. And and that's a really big point for me to try and get across to you guys. I knew this stuff pretty well. At least I had the good underpinnings of it. I had this experience, and it was 10 years before I realized what I just told you. Oh, dumb dummy. The lien wasn't on the house. The lien's on you. And that's why this information is so damned important. It's so critical to understand because if you don't have that basis, and even like me, I had the basis, and I still didn't understand it for 10 years. One day, like a bolt of lightning out of a damn cloud, bam, well, oh, God, you stupid idiot. That's why that happened that way. Of course, the lawyer doesn't know that. All he knows is, you know, the closing attorney, all he knows is, hey, IRS goes to the head of the line. They got no idea why. They just know that's what they do. And if they sold that house and didn't give the IRS their satisfaction, their pound of damn flesh, or their ton of flesh, or however you want to put it, then they're in big trouble. So there it is, once again, the old English process, exactly what Brian Howard proved when he went into the hospital and got the documentation from the woman that actually handles the procedure. And when he told her what he wanted, and she goes off, says, wait a minute, and she goes off for 10 minutes approximately and comes back, and the very first words out of her, no telling who she talked with, she probably got a supervisor down there that oversees everything, But when she came back, the very first words out of her mouth to Brian were, you're not going to use anything I tell you against us, are you? 
Well, that's not a position of guilt now, is it? Of course it is. So we've gotten down to the nexus of where the rubber meets the road, and I've got to get back to my buddy Josh and say, you know, you want documentation on this? Go put some stuff up on the feudal system. Because I doubt that unless Brian takes them to court, and that's no fun, and it's, it's not cheap if you've got to go hire an attorney to do it, although I think that they'd probably try and get it under the rug as quickly as possible. They don't want this coming out in court. Okay? In fact, I dare say they wouldn't let it get to a courtroom. And I don't know that you're ever going to find some internal piece of paper that the, gov- that, that the agents of government co- communicate with these hospitals all over the country on telling them what the system is that they're going to follow on the birth of a piece of property. So the thing is, if you want documentation, go back and study the feudal era. There's your documentation. Then you look at the processes. Are the processes the same? exactly the same well there's your proof and documentation go study the feudal era only had a thousand years of legal precedent underneath it okay so it's important stuff to know and understand i don't know if there's anybody else in the entire planet that's talking about this stuff especially with the verification and the authority that we've got and can talk about it here and explain it to you and even give you examples just exactly like i did on things that have happened to me personally or other people that we've known but the important things are get your arms around the basics of this. Don't try and dig through minutia. I'm not saying that's a bad way to do it. I'm just saying it's unproductive. You get people who don't know doodly squat about the law. They don't know anything about procedure. And they're in there supposedly reading all these regulations and statutes that are made up with these words and intentional things that have been set up to trick and deceive you. And they think by reading all that stuff that they're going to come out and find out what's happening and you have proof. Well, they're not. The system is designed and implemented for you not to do that. And very few people have ever done it to my knowledge, successfully. However, if you understand what the system is and you go back and look at this conceptually, it's just like I was saying earlier. You give a six-year-old two puzzles, one with 1,000 or 1,500 pieces and one with eight or 10. Which one do you think he's going to put together quicker? I mean, it's a no-brainer. Of course, it's a ridiculous example. It's a totally rhetorical question. Obviously, that kid's going to slap that 10-piece puzzle together in no time. Glickety split. Then you go back and look at the minutiae. Because then you can find out how they did it and start to know a trail to follow. Otherwise, you're diving into the deep end of the pool, and you don't even know what your object is or what you're trying to achieve. And you certainly don't know that they've put core exit in the pool and every other diet can't damn kind of chemical they can put in there to to totally either defeat you or obfuscate what they're trying to do or totally turn you away which is where a great percentage of the number of our people have been over all these 30 years i've been in this shooting match why don't we have more effectiveness why haven't we had more effectiveness and one of the reasons is because all of our people 
excuse me, I got to sneeze. All of our people are following that bottom-up approach of trying to dig through these layer after layer after layer after layer of deliberate obfuscations that are put there intentionally so you don't accomplish that goal. Hey, Gary, welcome to the program, man. How you feeling today? Good morning, Roger. Doing all right. Doing all right. Thank you. Hope you're the same. Well, I'm all right. You know, it's just like an old buddy of mine used to say, some days the bear gets you and some days you get the bear. Yeah, sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the nail. Yeah, you got it, buddy, about the same thing. Yeah. And uh, I just got a lot of stuff on my mind, you know, besides this and everything else. And uh, and we see so many things converging at one point. And I got some personal situations I need to deal with. And uh, so it, it uh, and quite frankly, I haven't had I haven't had a day of fun in six months. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just just mopping up a lot of. Yeah, uh, whatever. I mean, you go through yeah. the emotions, but I'm usually a pretty happy guy, you know. I got control of a lot of things in my life, and uh, since this foot accident, which precipitated the majority of this stuff, I, I don't think I've had a real good day in six months, honestly. That was a good day on the 5th of December when we did that show. I mean, I was in a great mood that day. I, I just love it when we make major strides, and that's a major stride, understanding that, that process. No, no doubt. I mean... You, you come across like you, you generally have a positive demeanor and, uh, you know, you're, you're very upbeat though. I mean, yeah, we all, we run into our little, uh, roadblocks or speed bumps, you know, but you deal with it and, but generally overall, yeah, you're, you're on the upswing and, uh, upbeat, but, um, but I real quick, one, one note I want to make regarding Ed, um, I received two different calls the last couple of years from the so-called IRS, and it's apparently some scam going around. And I, I was told, I was uh, advised that they'll never contact you by phone. It'll always be by letter. I, and I don't know if that's true, but... It's funny you that know. you should bring that up, and I'm really glad you did because I had not put that together here. All right. But I saw a video. I meant to play it on the air, actually, but we've had a lot going on at that time when it came around. I forgot about it. I had it saved up there in my tabs. I was going to play the thing. Well, this guy got one of those scam calls from the IRS. And, you know, since you brought that up 30 seconds ago, and I hope Ed's still listening, I just about guarantee you that's what this is. Yeah. The IRS yeah. doesn't call you, and they don't come after you for fraud. They come after you for failure to file, okay? And they don't call you and say, oh, hey, go, go get yourself lawyered up there, buddy. We're coming after you for a little fraud. They don't do it that way. Well, this video was one of these scams, and it was out of India, okay, evidently. Yeah. Because they had an Indian kind of accent. But guess who they called? Guess who they tried to scam? And the guy got it all recorded, okay? A tax attorney. <laughs> Oh, way to go there. 
I mean, oh man, of all people, that's you funny. Can, you can go down a, a list of numbers, and I think I'll call him and see if I can get some money out of him. And he's a tax attorney, and he was he had him on the phone for about fifteen or twenty minutes and let him. I, he played it really well. Okay. Oh yeah. And he, he's leading them right down the garden path, you know, and and in the conversations and this that and the other, and then finally he he started confronting him, and he said, well. I'm a tax attorney for a living, and they hung up on him. <laughs> and all of a sudden, yeah, click. <laughs> so, Ed, if yeah, they call sure. back, tell them you're a tax attorney. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's a good out. <laughs> and tell them you'd like to see some some correspondence as to their charges and the backing. <laughs> that's pretty funny, isn't it? Uh, I mean, what a luck for a scammer that's trying to scam you on IRS scam to call a tax attorney. I mean, I thought it was abs- absolutely brilliant, man. <laughs> oh, that, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. You couldn't write that any better. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, so, took care of that, that person. Shut him down. But, I, yeah, I was, something like that. I would string him along. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Well, you know, just, just you know, play play the game. And then just lower the boom on them right to the left. Boy, I, I shouldn't have gotten rid of that. I shouldn't have gotten rid of that video. I would love to find it and play it for you guys because it was really oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a trip. That is a trip. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's happened to me twice. And I just ignore it. You know, just ignore it and hang up. And uh, so, of course, I think it was a message. But, uh, you know, I'm, I think my mother heard the uh, the one message. She was all worried and. You know, it's like, Mom, they're not gonna they're not gonna call you. They're not gonna call us. Not to worry. <laughs> and uh so I I said, Let me let me see if I get something in writing. Nope, nothing ever came. Nope. So yeah. And that's what you challenge them to do if you just say, Okay, well just send it to me in writing. Uh speaking you of your mom, how's your mom doing these days? Doing fine, Raj, thank you. Um, you know, aches and pains, but uh Looking forward to seeing Katja. Uh, I think we're going to hook up Saturday. Oh, and, oh uh, man, that ought to be a godsend for her. Oh man. So yeah, we'll just uh, give it, a, give the machine a test drive, and uh, so looking forward to that and just meeting, you know, uh, she and Steve, and um, so yeah, that should be a good, and that'll really be my first time contact, you know, meeting someone in person through this group. Oh man, well, you're, well I, I'm going to tell you, I've no, her and her husband have been loyal listeners for many years, and we've had a lot of conversations in the past. Especially, she's an Apple expert. Okay, she's always okay. been an Apple, and she knows all the differences. And when I was first getting my iPhone and stuff, she helped me out an awful lot learning about that and getting up to speed is a lot quicker than I would have otherwise probably. But uh, you, you, all of you, Terrence, I assume, and hopefully Bob's going to get his wife over there, and you and your mom, you're gonna, you're really in for a treat to get to meet and have a personal conversation with her. She's been threatening to fly down here to South America for. A long time and haven't been able to pull it off yet but i'm kind of envious that you guys are going to get spend personal time with her a delightful person super couple both of them and uh, very much in the vein of, of our line of thinking and i just think you'll be charmed that's great that's wonderful to hear and she even mentioned maybe we can facetime you and uh i said you know great um so uh we'll see if we can work that out you know on her end there 
but yeah, that's good knowing she's an Apple, an Apple girl because uh, yeah, I'd like to get a Mac and uh, you know down the road here, but get a real good PC. So. Well, it's interesting, you know, John Casarab over the weekend sent me a couple of videos. I haven't even had a chance to look at them yet, but it's an ex-Apple engineer, evidently. And John said, I'll never buy an Apple product after watching these videos. So, like I said, I haven't, I haven't watched them. I don't know what's on there, but evidently it's pretty indicting. And uh, my feelings are the corporation's really gone south since Jobs died. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Oh, yeah, and like the news you just said, talked about being down 9% today or yesterday. Well, it's uh, probably going to be yeah. down more today. Here, let, let's check the vitals here. Gold uh, spiked up to 1292 overnight before the markets opened because of the news from China and the Apple news. And you know, I, don't, I don't know whether you know it yesterday, but China had the worst day of the year on their market they've ever had in the first day of the year yesterday. Uh, and uh, so it spiked up. They still kept it down a bit because it should be higher, obviously. It should have spiked higher. But it spiked up to 1292 overnight. They drove it down to 1284 uh, right at the opening of our markets. And it's back up to about 1290 now. So we've gained about $50 on gold in the last 30 days. Here about 20 minutes or 30 minutes ago, the market was down 616. And it's been brought back up to 372 as we speak now that's the dow jones uh but you're going to see a lot of volatility man going forward all the new there's a lot of news and it's all bad oh there, there's so much you can't keep up you know just between zero hedge just that source i mean there's it's just every time you, you turn around i mean there's another five six articles and you just can't keep up. It's nope. really impossible. I, I mean, you so could do this full time, and it's hard to keep up. Oh, it is. Yeah, <laughs> you're no kidding. But, uh, yeah, it, I think Jim Willie's saying gold needs to break through 1350. That's that's a resistance. That's a that's a ceiling there. If we can break through that, then it's on to 1900 as the next leg. And so, yeah, it'd be good for our care bars. Oh, oh no yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to discuss that more yesterday. I thought about it a lot over the last few days. Um, I, uh, 1300 is obviously a real important level for them, and they're going to try everything to keep it under that. If nothing else is psychological, okay? Uh, no telling if it's going to invoke any stops or anything in their short game. But, uh, yeah, we're going to hit a point here pretty quick, and it's, it'll probably happen before the end of the month, I would predict, that it's going to hit a point and it's going to start going up real, real quick. Now, that brings us to let's look a little bit ahead knowing what we know. Because that's the whole, that's the whole end game of this program is to try and find people that have brain cells to rub together that are supposed to be receptive to this information, and then see if we can get us all safe harbor so that we'll be strong down the line. That's the end game, okay? And so as you look at this, what do we know? Well, we know for one thing is there ain't very, very, very little tonnage or big numbers available in gold, and that's been the case for at least a year with Rob Kirby because Rob. Kirby's been very, very generous with putting that out on information on, on his interviews. I don't know, Gary, if you paid attention to him or followed this much of a vein for this long, but it was about, it was at least a year ago and it was maybe more than that. And when, uh, and he was saying, if you're in trying to find 
tonnage of gold, he said, you, if you can get it at a 50% premium, you're doing real good. Okay, so tonnage has not been available and is very difficult to find now. And if you get it, you're going to pay a super high premium for it. All right. So that's not going to affect any of us. I don't think any of us are going in for tons of gold right now. Okay. So, but it's a good insight into the big players and what's really happening on the big scale here. So if you go to your if you go to your coin shop or you call your coin dealer, you're going to be able to acquire some smaller pieces of gold and silver, and most of them have it at this point. But as this price starts spiking and people start going, hopefully they won't go buy ETF stuff. A lot of people are going to do that. Okay, they're unknowledgeable and don't know any better. But the ones that have got two brain cells to run together are going to go buy physical where they can hold it. And those stores that have got a few pieces of physical around in their safe, they're going to be cleaned out real quick. Would you agree with that? I would concur. Yes, sir. Okay. And so yep, if absolutely. there's no big tonnage left and if the small dealers get cleaned out as this demand starts skyrocketing, where are people going to be able to get gold? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good question. All right. Question. It'll just you know, reach a parabolic. Well, that um, that's why I'm demand. Uh, that's why I'm saying I think the carrot bars side, not the coin side. But I'm thinking and hoping that the physical side of carrot bars is going to kick back in because it died when they knocked the price down from 1900 down to 11 something a number of years ago. I mean, it did just effectively almost kill, except the people that really understood it, that it was a buying opportunity, you know, be well, by the effing dip, you know. Okay, so the people that understood that went in and bought some, but most people didn't. Most people look at price and they see the price going that bad. Well, man, I don't want gold. It just dropped eight hundred dollars. Right, they just they don't understand. They're not looking at it from the right perspective. You know, they don't understand. It's manipulated. Once you understand, it's a game, and <clears throat> there will be an uh, an end time for the game it there will be a day of reckoning it's just a matter of time like you said uh you buy real estate and wait you don't wait and buy real estate that's right and it's the same thing you just you buy right and sit tight another old adage and uh just you, you just hold on and go about your business and just keep just keep you know just keep acquiring but speaking of care bars Harold Seitz, I understand, he has a mine in Madagascar, and somewhere else. You know Tan Tanzania. Oh, Tanzania. Okay, that's a part. That's a country in Africa. Yep, and they they're both okay. they both produce what's called green gold. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, I have, and I don't really know. That means that means there's no child labor involved, and they don't use cyanide in the leaching process. Yeah, you did mention that a while back. So yeah. it's totally environmentally friendly. That's why they call it green, green gold. And they've had those mines since I've been in Carrot Bars. I've been with Carrot Bars about, what, seven years now, I think? Wow. Yeah, six six years, something like that. Pretty long time. And that's why when I get on here and say, this is a fine company, okay? Yeah. Carrot Bars is a fine company. 
Yeah, so, you can uh, you can you can tell. I mean, when you start perusing the people that that are talking about, you know, uh, the founder Harold, and uh, you know, you start getting a, a good feel for the operation for the for him, and uh, naturally, he's behind the whole operation, and he's he seems like a, a true blue guy. Um, well, I don't, I don't know if you guys know the real history of Carrot Bars because we hadn't talked about it in a long time till the ICO came up because, quite frankly, people just lost interest, okay? But I think that that interest is, could be very easily regenerated here as we go forward. And the reason I wanted to mention it, and I'm gl- again, I'm glad you brought it up because it's something I wanted to talk about and I, I forgot, um, is that at some point this is a way you can really help some of your neighbors and people you know because as the mania for gold comes and it's coming and it will probably precede the mania for cyber coins because people have a six this stuff has a six thousand year history and cyber coins have got a seven or eight year history okay and there's big technical hurdles to jump to understand all how to do all that stuff because it hasn't been simplified yet that's the reason it's not out in the mass markets okay but it will be it's coming ride it on a rock and bury it but i feel like gold and silver and the things that people know of are going to spike before that okay and so now you've got a way as we get into that situation that we discussed and outlined earlier where all the big quantities but man, it scarce as hen's teeth to get. Like Kirby deals in stuff like twenty and thirty plus tons, man. With not only not only institutions, but big wealthy, super wealthy, uber wealthy buyers. And he yeah. says, "I can't locate this stuff." Okay, all right. So uh, so that's coming, and after the retail shops get cleaned out, and as this mania grows, you may can help a lot of people just turning them onto carrot bars. Now, I'm not saying about getting in it and building a business, because you don't have to do that. You can sign up in carrot bars 100% for free. Okay? Now, the only commissions you'll get is a commission on anybody that does buy that you turn on to. You'll get a slight commission on what they buy, and you don't have to worry about all the other business-building attributes of the opportunity. But it, I believe Carrot Bars is going to be a very, very viable opportunity as we go forward. It's going to get resurrected, if you will. Like Bob, we're resurrecting Bob from yesterday. Hey, Bob. We're open. We're open. Well, you know, I mean, it foreshadows, of course, what's going to go on with the coin. And I believe that you're going to see any coins, and there are a couple out there, that are associated with gold and physical. You're going to see those kick before we see the other traditional cyber coins kick. And we've already seen instances of that. There was a situation, and I'm not familiar with the coin, but there's a coin that before carrot bars came out that was partially backed by gold to some extent. And there was one day in the market when every cyber coin took a bath, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all of them down. And the only one that was up with this one, and it was up 21% in one day when every other coin out there was down because of its association to gold. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. It's decoupling, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's finding its own. And uh, I'm sure Bob has some input and... I, I do want to, I do have one question, a legal question, and I, I appreciate, I don't mean to switch hats here, but I appreciate all your legal input as always, and I'm sure others do too. Um, 
but uh, you were talking about the statute staple, and before tuning into the show, I had never heard of that term. Heard you mention it, you know, a few times to the month, and I've ne- I didn't. I didn't really know what staple. What does that mean? Well, in that term. Okay. Well, I'll tell you. Well, the technical name of the statute staple is a shetar. Again, it's the same thing. It's just name different. Okay. And the process was, and I'm glad you asked the question, and uh, because the what happened in England was England was a common law country, right? So it meant that in the England's also an island, which means they don't produce everything they want or need. So they have to trade. And so their big produ- their big product was wool for one, and I guess grains and stuff, okay? And so the main trading ports, Liverpool and some of the other uh, uh, port towns around England, well, when the traders, traders usually triangulate. They'll go three places. You know, this back to the Holy Grail and sacred geometry, right? So they'll take the wool over and somewhere and sell it for something or trade it for something and go to another port and trade it for something and then come back and get more wool. It's just like the old triangle with slaves. They'd bring the blacks to the states. They'd sell the blacks and take the money. They'd go down to the Caribbean and get rum, and then they'd carry the rum back to England. Okay? So they make money on every leg. All right, And so what happened was, because England was under the common law, some of the, the, they'd go cheat the guy that was bringing something in, the importer or exporter, and they'd cheat him on a deal. And England was under the common law, which means you had to go into a jury of, of your peers. And they'd go get their buddies and get them on the jury or get people in on the witness stand to lie for them. And the people that were bringing them the stuff they needed were getting aggravated because they were getting screwed out of their profits and going, hell, I ain't coming back here again. And so in 1285, in one of the Queen Elizabeth or something, I could go back and get the exact year, 1285, I believe, was the year, Gary, that they passed a piece of legislation up there called the Statute de Mercantoribus. And this goes back a long ways, man. We're almost talking a thousand years, you know, a long time ago, all right, a couple of hundred years. All right. And so they passed this statute they make in Toribus. And what that did was it brought the English, it brought the Jewish Shetar into the English common law for the first time. If you want to know a good historical background on this, go over to my website, SovereignToSurf.com, and over on the right side, we've talked about it before, is a very scholarly scholarly article it was published in the georgetown law review back in the 1970s or 80s it was written by a jewess named judith shapiro and the title of the article is how the jewish shetar invaded the common law and it's exactly about this but she just never tells you what it is she doesn't tell you it's a 1040 form okay but it's got an excellent recount of the history there 
all right? So in 1285, I believe it was, they passed the statute de mercantoribus, and they went in that legislation, they designated a number of towns as staple towns because they were the towns that, that either sent out or took in the staples that they needed. That's where that word comes in, okay? So they called it, they didn't call it a Jewish shetar, they called it a statute staple, all right? And so what they did in the legislation was they designated the specific towns. You can bet Liverpool was one of them, probably Bristol. I don't know which ones, but it was the main trading centers, okay? And they made the mayor of that town the mayor of the staple. And, and if there was ever an altercation in a debt being owed with a local and a trader, they would take it, if there was a dispute, they would take it to the mayor, and the mayor would put it under seal in a statute staple. Remember, it's, it's a specialty contract, and it has to be under seal, like we'd say under penalty of perjury, and it has to have a recognizance in it. And the recognizance here, or recognizing something else, and the recognizing or the recognizance here was the statute de mercantoribus. Okay, so it brought the system in, it brought this Jewish shetar in, and when there was a dispute and it went to the mayor of the town and he put the statute staple under seal, then it made you property. And anything that came into your hands was seizable to satisfy the debt. It didn't matter whether it was rents. It didn't matter if you sold something. It didn't matter if somebody owed you money that they gave you. Anything that came into your hands was seizable until the debt was satisfied. Mm. Your property. And it worked so well from the 1200s, 1300s up until when Henry VIII was the king of England and was having tax problems. And he goes, that system works like a snap. I'm going to bring it into the exchequer and use the same system to collect the king's taxes. Mm. And that's how it got brought into the crown. And it was that way for hundreds of years, and it did exactly what King Henry VIII said. It worked like a snap. And then they got away I from it. And that's... And see, that's where if you go back to that case that really opened all this up in 1854, uh, Hoboken Land and Improvement, I, I forget the exact style of it, but Hoboken Land and Improvement was part of it. And, and that's when in the Supreme Court, when they were hearing this case, and they said, there's no due process in the con Remember, this is before the 14th Amendment. Okay, There's no due process in the Constitution where it applies to tax law. And so the only thing we can do is go back to the country where our people came from and go back to the laws of England and go back to their established tax laws. Now, that case from 1855 was cited in an IRS brief in a case that I don't remember where it was, but it was cited by the IRS in a case within the last 15, 20 years. So 
that's what a statute staple is, the same thing as a Jewish shetar. Gary, I'd really advise you to go get that, and anybody else that just wants some good information under your belt and understanding is go over and read that Judith Shapiro article, How the Jewish Shetar Invaded the English Common Law. Have you read that, Bob? I have not. And I don't know that that's a good thing so much, but I understand the point well enough. I haven't really felt compelled. Well, she's got she's got a lot of really intricate history in that document that that I never saw from John and Glenn. Okay, I just know the background of it because John had researched it when he found that case. Lansbury, I think it's Lansbury versus Hoboken Land and Improvement Company or something. And in that case, they listed down at the bottom the established books on the old English process. One of them was by a guy named Price and another one was by a guy named Chitty, C-H-I-T-T-Y, almost like almost like the word spelled with an S, okay? And so they went back at that point, this is before the Internet, okay, but had any kind of stuff online. And they went back at that point to the only resource they had, which was the interlibrary loan system, where you can go into any college library and find out all the books, and it's connected to all the other college libraries and libraries in the country. And John and Glenn went in and went to the interlibrary, uh, intercollegiate library loan system, and they went in and put in Chitty and Price, and they could only find two books on them in the entire United States. Now, you want to know why nobody understands this process? Hell, nobody's ever been exposed to it. Yeah. Seems to me like you were saying that one of them was at Texas A&M of all places. That's that right. I remember where the other L- was. Library Congress. Yeah. Which you would kind of expect at that. Yeah. You, you think maybe George Bush donated it to Texas a <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. I kind, I kind of doubt it. So, uh, anyway. I kind of think he would have exp- expunged it. <laughs> yeah, no he kidding. He donating it. Yeah, well, no sarcasm in my comment, you know. So, Gary, does that, give you, no. does that give you a little better idea on that? Yeah, it, it does. It just. I was just trying to grasp it, you know, really get it, and I'm I'm getting there. You know, well, I, I, have, I guess I have the general idea, and you know, when you, you hear a, a term like that used in a different way, it's like it's foreign, you know. Yep. And uh, you know, you hear the word, you know, we just are used to the word staple, like uh, in everyday life, you know. Oh, that's. And that's what it meant. That was what was imputed into that. They just didn't want to call it a shetar. They had legislation. It was on the statute books, and it applied to staple towns and this process and this problem. So I guess that's probably where the name came from. Now, there's several types of statute staples. There's a statute staple contract. There's a statute staple bond. Okay? But your 1040 form that that you won't fill out anymore, Gary... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the old 1040 form that you used to fill out is a statute staple contract. It fits those parameters. It's in the Uniform Commercial Code, I believe, under the section of specialty contracts. And there's only two criteria. It has to be signed under seal, and it has to have a recognizance. That brings another question to mind. 
I'm glad you brought that up. I don't, Bob. I don't. It, I didn't know if you wanted to get a comment out while we're running out of time here. I don't want to run over you. No, no problem. I, I was actually just going to call, question you on air if you had ever heard anything back from Pat Gamble or had any satisfaction concerning no. the KBC or anything. Not, not a word. That was that not, was all. Not that a peep. Not, not a peep. Just a, but it seemed like just, I, I had. Yeah. I'm pretty uh, sure they were very, that was one of the stipulations because I was in on a call or two when they talked about that. You know, I tried to get the calls out to everybody, but everything was so secret. And it's one, there's one tomorrow night. And, you know, it's like the uh, conspiracy, if you will, you know, but that one of the stipulations, and see, there was all this confusion on the way it was being rolled out. And in the middle of that, they announced this promotion. Well, some people didn't know it was a promotion and didn't get that out of it and thought it was going to apply to everybody. But it was a special promotion that Carol announced back then. And I remember on those calls that one of the prereqs was you had to take a screenshot of your wallet back then. I, I haven't heard anything about it, and I haven't been able to find out anything. But I have a feeling that probably applies. Yeah, I, I just went through those instructions and online, and, and uh, it seemed to go through okay. So I, and all I'm doing is waiting, just like yeah. you are, Bob, waiting to hear back. Yeah. And, you know, like they say, once you finish that, it says, okay, we'll get back to you. We'll check your claim, you know. And, uh, so well, the, the thing that has me confused on it is that, and I explained yesterday kind of what I had done, and it says, you know, next window, and you can't get on it because until you click, yes, I've sent a KBC, but I haven't sent it yet because I don't know how. And, uh-huh. and so I click it, and it goes to the next window, and it says, you know, you're logged in. I don't know verbatim what it said. But anyway, basically, you're okay. You're in the system. We'll verify your claim and get back to you. And what I'm afraid is going to happen is twofold. A, they're going to check it, and it's going to say, well, no, you never sent a KBC. And the other one is if I redo it, then I'm going to have something redundant, and that'll screw everything up. So I'm just kind of biding my time here. But anyway. Yeah. You know, were you able to? I kind of fall back. I kind of fall back to yesterday, and the hogs get fat, and you know pigs get fat, and yeah, hogs okay. get slaughtered. Right, right. I'm Wait not. I'm not panicked, but I have extreme interest. Right. Extreme interest. Yeah, yeah. Well, no. It, <laughs> it, we're going to get a windfall, and it just could be an additional windfall if you're able to take it, take care of it, and get it done. Yeah. When you were telling, do y'all hear telling Gary about the fact that? Can y'all hear this this burglar alarm going off? A little bit. No, actually, I can't. Well, you're lucky. It's because of the microphone. That's one of my dissatisfactions with here because I'm having to deal with that stuff 24 hours a day. Hey, car, apartment, dogs barking all day and all night, alarms going off. And locals keeping up until 3.30 in the morning. I'm just hoping you can't hear my tools rattling around in the toolbox. I'm in a service van, and it doesn't have a partition, uh, so my tools are particularly noisy, and I'm always wondering if they're coming through. But anyway, no. our oh, our man. kids, our three daughters, they all think that my wife and I have a song for everything, and it's pretty close to true. About any situation that comes up, we'll start singing some oldie, you know, that, <laughs> that applies. <laughs> when, 
when you told Gary, when you told Gary that you know he could say goodbye to the 1040 for him, the first song that came into my mind was Handel's Chorus. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. The second one was The Doors. The, the Doors. This is the end. How appropriate. The, end. the time of year fits too, Bob. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, I never funny. somehow I'd never put I'd never put Handel and The Doors together before, but you just did it. <laughs> well, Jim Jim Morrison. That's a combination. Jim Jim Morrison yeah, would be Jim Morrison would be flattered. <laughs> Say that again. I said Jim Morrison would be flattered. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Me and George Handel, we go way back. Handel and Doors. Well, we're about to be flattered by running out of time here. So before the whistler comes on, I want to thank. Uh, I hope Ed gets Skype loaded because I want to hear about his stuff and I want to hear from him in general. Being a relatively new student, you know, and uh, and and uh, uh, advocate to our ideas here, and uh, and I know that anytime people have got questions. You, you can't hear this stuff enough. You can't hear way, it. That, that hit me immediately, Roger, when he said that he'd gotten the call. I'm thinking, that's bogus. There's no freaking way. I've that's had a few right. of those, too, and I've got no IRS problems. I've got no entanglements. I'm up to date, current, blah, blah, blah. But I've had several of those. I just hang up on them. Oh. You know, oh, yeah. I mean... Okay. Yeah, yeah. Ask them. It's crap. Ask them how the curry. Ask them how the curry is in their district. <laughs> well, I know this was actually a mechanized voice. You know, it wasn't even close to authentic. It, it, it didn't. Even, it didn't even sound like an Indian. It was just some automatic voice. You know, some automated right. voice. I yeah. should say. Yep. And I was just like, oh, come on. Can't you do better than that? That's not even a good bluff. Well, the fi- the sad part is, Bob, we'd probably be shocked on how many people bite and send them money. Oh, yeah. Well, I've seen I've seen articles in the local paper talking about the very thing, you know, the sheriff's office saying, you know, don't fall for these scams. The IRS never calls you. And then there's other scams, of course, you know, the Nigerian where they, yeah. if you send me this money you can unlock all this wealth did you like, did, really? you, did you see the one they pulled in louisiana over over new year's they said bring your meth in not. bring your meth in and we'll oh. check and see for fentanyl I, I saw that headline and i i never read it but i thought to myself you know if somebody buys onto that, they really deserve to be too. I mean, wow. And they said, listen, if you're, if you're too paranoid to bring to the, come to the police station, give us a call. We'll come to your house. Uh, <laughs> we'll come check your mess for whatever poison. Fent- was fentanyl, uh, yeah. Pretty funny stuff. And listen. Seriously? Uh, <laughs> Need brain cells. <laughs> All right, we're running yeah, out of time. We'll have more fun tomorrow with Brent, though. I guarantee you. So, yeah, and I'm sure a number of you'll yep. be there. It's everybody's favorite show of the week. So, Brent and I'll be back tomorrow. Hope you have a good day. Thanks for brightening my day. I always feel better when I get off the air in these kind of situations. And you know that I care about each and every one of you out there. And I mean sincerely. Okay. So let me just sign off, Bob and Gary and Ed and 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 Chris. Hope he's guess he's still in court. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day, and see you then. Keep your fingers on the financials. Should be interesting. See you guys tomorrow. We're already off the air. The server already quit. <laughs> okay, arrivederci, amigo. Ciao, ciao. Thanks so much, Rod. You're welcome, Gear.
God Almighty. Fucking place driving me crazy.
Roger, thanks for letting me know. I had great admiration for Red Beckman, even though I never met him in my life. He was a man of great courage.
Thank you.